All right, hey everybody, great to see you, my friends and family. I am loving being back in action after a wonderful week of vacation. My family just got back, uh, extended family. I want to show you, I think I got a picture up there, uh, from a place called Camp of the Woods up in upstate New York, a town called Speculator. I would recommend this place. It is wonderful. They have as many activities you could you could do a pickleball, tennis, mountain climbing, rock climbing, you know, uh, canoeing, kayaking. I mean, there's so many I can't even uh, can't even name it. But it was an incredible time, spending time with uh, my family out in nature. One of the things that Camp of the Woods does well, it's unique about them, is that they have a Jesus-centered approach to their camp. So it's a Christian camp, and they provide ways that you can grow in your faith while you're there, and that's fun. And uh, one of the things that, the ways that they do that, that I personally love, is how they show hospitality. So they actually have a camera person, so not one of our family had to do, came and took pictures for us and sent it, sent it to us, among many other things. So our waitress, uh, at the very end, she would serve us these drinks, and the kids would order, like, give me a half Mountain Dew, half lemonade, and then mix it together with a Coke and a root beer after you do And she's like, okay, no problem. I'll go do that. So they were all bizarre kinds of drinks all week, but just so kind. And even when she wasn't on shift, she came back to say goodbye to us. And uh, we, one, of my, um, one of the family members had a birthday, and we sung to them, and they they were serenaded with the ukulele. I mean, it's just really incredible. Just the, the hospitality that they showed to us and the love that we experienced. So it was really fun and they're really intentional about that. Um, also, if you're just getting back, and many of you know this, but I just think it's fun to give you an update. Just got back from a trip uh, to California. So we drove... 50 hours, I don't know, Jess, probably after stopping and whatnot, maybe it was like 60 hours or something. This is somewhere in the desert in Utah in some unnamed location with maybe a gas station and nothing else around for like 100 miles. Uh, so we thought it would be great to take a picture there. But it was beautiful. America, if you want to talk, talk more about the vastness of, of the United States and just the diversity uh, of the geography and the people, I mean, it was really quite a trip. I could, you know, share for hours about, about what happened there. But it was really an incredible time. Uh, but my daughter went out. She's going to Redding, California to start ministry school at a place called, a church called Bethel. She's super excited. She's going to be learning how to do kingdom ministry there, how to grow in her faith. Kind of she, just like the kids we had up here, she graduated to that next level. But I'm super excited that she's um, going into ministry and seeking God. And just the latest updates we're getting have been great, fantastic. She's worshiping with her friends, starting to connect. She's going off on her own and uh, really pursuing God. So that is one of the greatest joys of my life, uh, seeing uh, one of my children go and take those next steps and being intentional about pursuing Jesus. But, you know, as she described in her testimony, uh, you, you may have known that uh, some of you here heard her share her testimony when she got baptized. It's a, her own God story was quite dramatic and traumatic in some ways. It was not an easy two-year period when she basically decided to walk away from God. She was raised in the truth. She raised to know who God was. But uh, for whatever reason, in her adolescent mind, decided, hey, I want to go do it my own way. And she walked away from God and suffered some very painful consequences to her own life. And not only that, but as a parent... Uh, suffering through that, seeing your daughter, uh, one of your kids, go through that, it was probably one of the most difficult things that I went through personally in my entire life. 
um, you can go through things yourself, but you know, if you're a parent, you, you process those things differently. It's like another dimension. I, I really don't have the words to completely describe it. It was painful. It was very, very difficult. And you know, those of you who have been committed followers of Jesus for any amount of time, um, you can probably relate at least on one level to that strain and that stress that Jess and I went through. You know, I know, I've talked to many of you, I know you, you've shared your stories with me. There are many of you here who have, whose own children have, have maybe walked away from the Lord, have gone, th- come, come back. Maybe there's some of you here I know that whose children have walked away from God and there's really uh, nothing to indicate that it's going to happen again, that they'll come back to know the Lord anytime soon. I know there's many of you uh, I've talked to, a handful that are married to folks who, who don't uh, know the Lord or don't, don't really want to have much to do with Jesus. I know that some of you have brothers and sisters who, who have uh, you know, a tenuous relationship with God or you're not really sure where they are. And so I think any of us, or maybe even friends or family, but I think all of us to some degree or another, I think you can relate to um, the way that Jess and I felt, but particularly as parents, I think it's, it's very, very difficult. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and you have that dynamic in your marriage or with a brother or sister, you could probably relate to at least on one level knowing that there's a difference in values there. And that creates an inconsistency and maybe a little tension, although maybe it seems like it maybe shouldn't be a big, that big of a deal to you. And I understand where you're coming from. You know, I've, 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 I've talked with many friends, family, folks uh, all throughout the years who come from a different perspective. And there's a way to talk about it in a way that's full of grace but also full of truth. And uh, no matter what your perspective, so no matter where you are today in there, I just want to acknowledge that some of, I know some of you where you are emotionally. So I want to recognize that, that this can be a very difficult um, topic to think about or something as part of our life. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of these ancient letters that were written that addresses kind of some of these issues uh, to, to one degree uh, and, and what we're going to look at how those relationships impact one another. And the sermon series we're in, if you missed it last week, is this uh, big ideas from tiny letters. So there's these really, really, really short books of the Bible, or better known as letters or epistles, that were written uh, to a church or to an individual and in those, uh, they're included in the canon of Scripture for an important reason, because they give us wisdom to how to navigate different relational issues. And the kind of issues that we face today were not new to the folks who wrote them, uh, or wrote them back, back then. And so today's tiny letter is the book of Third John. Last week, Teresa led us through Second uh, John. I was able to listen to that on a car ride back when we had connection in upstate New York. And uh, today's message is called uh, Faithful to the Truth. And you might be surprised what the author John actually emphasizes in this little letter, what that might mean. So let's pray and then we'll uh, take a look at this little letter and see what we can learn. Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, again, all the children who are transitioning for, um, I know there's fun, some, many transitions that are happening in families that weren't even mentioned today. I mean, we see small classroom transitions, but God, for every student that's in transition uh, and for every parent and family member who's watching the transition of uh, whether it's faith or faithlessness or confusion, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you administer your love and your peace, your truth, clarity, 
to each of our beloved uh, family members and friends. I pray that you would open up your word to us today and bring revelation of what it is you want to say to each of us individually, no matter where we are in our faith journey. But I ask God that you would speak and that we would listen. And uh, it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. All right. So last week when Teresa spoke about Second John, she talked about how that was a letter to a church or a group of churches. Third John's a little different. It's written, and if you want to follow along in the Bible, if you want to open to it, you just go to the back, skip Revelation going backwards, and it's the second to last book of the Bible. So that's where it is. I'm going to give excerpts of the book. Again, you can read the whole book in five minutes or less. Simple, simple story or simple uh, letter. But it's, this one's not written to a church or a group of churches. It's written to a guy named Gaius of all people. So you can call him Guy for short. I think it would, it would be appropriate. So he's written to this guy from an elder named John. And it's, you can't say with 100% certainty that's written by the Apostle John, but in all likelihood it is being the elder. And the way that he writes uh, is very characteristic of the kind of writing in the Johannine literature. He writes with a certain cadence, a certain rhythm, a certain emphasis on love. And you can see that coming through the letter. And so I'm I'm pretty sure that it was written by the, the, um, uh, the Apostle John. Although, whether you believe that or not, one thing you know for, for sure is that he deeply loves the guy he's writing to. And so this is, it's not a romantic letter, it's a letter from one elder to a, like a spiritual child that he has. And so that's, that's the, the sense you might have. Someone who, is, who loves the person they're writing to, and this is uh, what John has to say to his friend Gaius, uh, starting in the first verse. So let's read it together, uh, or I'll just, I'll read this, probably it's easier uh, for this kind of um, scripture here. So the, to the, uh, the elder, to my friend Gaius, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. What a great, what a great way to start. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. What a great start. You know, so you see right off the bat in John's writing, he, he deeply loves this guy. He loves this, this individual he's writing to. But one of the primary characteristics that we note in relationships that are united through the bond of Jesus is that the number one thing that will strike you in those kind of relationships that we see here right off the bat in this letter is that they're characterized by love. That love is the key characteristics that defines their, their relationship. And he talks about their, his soul getting along uh, quite well there. And so what love really is, if you stop, I mean, we can think about what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. But what love is, as we see in the, uh, the life of John and the way that he writes, it's, it's the desire and the inclination of your heart towards another for the well-being of every dimension of their soul, of another. That you, you care about uh, soul and soul meaning, really, it's basically that like a spiritual operating system that integrates all the parts of who you are as a person. Your heart, your mind, your body, your, your social relationships, all of those things comprise you as an individual. And your soul integrates them all into one being. And so John's blessing here is a desire for the well-being of, of Gaius uh, as one of his spiritual children. 
And so the tr truth John's referring to, well, what, is, what does he mean by truth? And we can get a lot into this, but Jesus once said this. He said, you can go to the next slide, here we go. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So being in the truth in a more a broader sense or context is uh, walking in truth means walking with Jesus, having that dynamic relationship with Jesus. It's the person of Jesus, and what Jesus points to is truth is not about facts or information or a system of beliefs. It's a person. That walking in truth is walking with a person. It's the person, the person of Jesus. And the good news that we celebrate in communion is that something happened in time and place in history where God himself put on human flesh, came, lived the perfect life, died, was buried, rose from the dead, and through the power of his spirit, gave us to the, the, the capacity to be as Jesus was when he was here. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God's love is expressed in the person of Jesus, and we can all have that life today. And it's a big deal. And it's a big deal because there are eternal consequences to what we think or believe or how we walk out our life with Jesus. And that's what, uh, why, it's so, why it's so important. And it's something worth giving our lives to. You know, if you're not a believer of Jesus and you're here, I just want to say to you that it's worth taking the time to consider the claims of Jesus, the guy who, who died, rose from the dead. It's worthwhile taking the time to consider what those impl in the implication of that might be. And so this uh, course that we have, so we're starting this course um, called Alpha. It's an opportunity, as Nick mentioned in the announcement, to explore through the lens of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did and what Jesus said, the life, uh, the meaning of life, uh, faith, and how we can become the kind of people that God wants us to be. And what it, the, the thing I love about Alpha is that it's a, it's a relaxed atmosphere. You show a video and you can just share whatever you want. And so it's a time to process, not only to learn, but to process what you're learning. And so if you have a friend or if you know a family member who's exploring and is interested and curious but doesn't quite know where they stand or you are yourself in that position, I'd encourage you to check out Alpha as an opportunity to do that. It'll be a group no longer, no bigger than uh, 10 to 11 people, it might even be less, that gather for a meal together and discuss these important matters of life. And it is so amazing to see how that hospitality plays a role in the formation of, of not only the, the community itself, but in, in faith. And so consider this, and I want you to consider prayerfully being part of this or inviting someone who you might know who might be curious or interested. Uh, I, like Nick said, I've seen God do really incredible things through, through Alpha, which is basically community openly discussing where they stand on their faith and allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work. It's not like one person teaching. It's you listen and you process together. So I'd encourage you to, to really consider that. All right, so let's look at the next couple of verses here, uh, verses 3 and 4. This is what John writes in the letter. He says, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So John, of course, he's, he's referring to not his physical children, but his spiritual children. He planted churches, he engaged, he led people into a relationship with Jesus as an elder, and he's seen not only his children come to faith, but he's seen grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he's writing to these children, and he's talking about his spiritual children. There is no greater joy, I love that. Uh, he says, I have no greater joy 
than to hear that my children are walking uh, in the truth. You know, as a father, let me tell you, this is, this is the most important thing of my heart that I pray about daily, that I have pursued God about. And I know many of you, the deepest desire of your heart is that they would walk in the truth. And maybe there's people you love and you know in your own life that are not walking in the truth and it is just your deepest desire to see them walking in the truth of who Jesus is. You see, your faithfulness to God not only matters to him, but it matters to the people of God. It matters to God and it matters to his people. It matters because not only there are eternal ramifications, but the gifts and the, the, the embodiment of who you are and who God wants you to make, make you to be or is forming you into be is going to be a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. And we can't realize our full spiritual potential until we give it to the one who created us and submit it to the one who gave us that potential in, in the first place. And John is just with passion in his heart, is crying out and saying, there's no greater joy than to see when my, my people and my children walk, walk in the truth. And listen, I, you know, as a parent, I was seeing my daughter walk away. I mean, it was really hard to sort through all those emotions. It was confusing, and it was painful. Uh, I, I never experienced that kind of pain before. And the heart that John has here is really reflecting. I can relate to where he stands. And, you know, interestingly enough, as a pastor, I have this similar burden. I, every week when I come on Sunday, whether I'm part of a small group or a Sunday service, I don't know if it's something God just gives. To, I don't think it's just pastors, but people who have the pastoral gift. You don't have to be called a pastor to have a pastoral gift, but your heart breaks when you see and you know what's going on in someone's life and their, their struggle that they have, whether it's in their, in their marriage or in their parenting or in their own relationship with God or in their, their strain. You carry, I carry, the, one of the burdens of being a pastor, it's a great joy, let me tell you, to be a pastor, but you carry people's burdens, and so you feel deeply. And so oftentimes Sundays when I'm, when I'm engaging and I see what, what's happening in someone's life, my heart is breaking. And those things sometimes keep me up at night. And it's just the constant burden that you carry as part of what God's called you to do. And so I can understand where John is and he carries this deep burden. But that's, that's the burden of love. You know, um, I think it was uh, Shakespeare who once said, or he wrote, I forget which. You can tell, bonus if you, um, you tell me which... Uh, which play it's in. But he said, better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. I think I know which it is. Which, which one do you think that was in? Was that Romeo and Juliet? Does someone know? Anyway, tell me after you get a bonus, bonus point. But anyway, um, it, as I was experiencing this with, with Grace, one of the things that I realized is that the reason, because I started questioning even my own ability, capacity to love, like am I a loving person? Do I even care? But the pain that I was experiencing was actually a reflection of the love that God uh, had put in my heart for her. Is that when you love, your heart breaks. So love is not, there's no, no freedom from suffering. In fact, when you love someone, what you're doing is willingly entering into a suffering with someone. And the more you love, the more you're going to hurt. Um, this is a truth that we see, again, in the life of Jesus. You know what the ultimate example of that is? It's the cross the greatest love, the people who love the most will hurt the most. And, well, they will also experience the fullness of joy, but people who love will experience the deepest pains. And if you're a parent, 
you're a brother, a family member, a friend, and you love someone, guess what? You're going to hurt and you're going to suffer as a result because that's the nature of what love. Love is sacrifice. Love gives away. Love is patient. All of those things that love is, it, 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 it's a strain. And John shows this in the way that he loves his, his children. Now, I want to say there's an interesting thing here that I observe. So what does it mean then to walk faithfully in the truth? So for, first of all, we know it's an active thing. So walking faith, if we want to walk faithfully in the truth, does that mean that we read all the right commentaries or, you know, we walk in a straight line? What is it, does it mean that we feel the right things or believe the right things? And, and you know, believing the right things is, is certainly definitely part of it. But I found that uh, what John used as his evaluative grid for what walking in the truth was not what I expected when I read the context here. He makes connections that I had actually never seen when I reread this, this short letter. So let's take a look at verses 5 and 8, and you'll see some things come out in the context of, of his relationship with, uh, with Gaius and what was happening here. So he's, uh, let's go to the next, uh, there we go, I think we're there. Yes, thank you. So he's referring to traveling missionary preachers who had been hosted by Gaius and those other in the church. And he says this, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. And then down in verse 8, he continues to, to explain what he means. He says, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. So it's an interesting, let me just read that last one, that last line, verse 8 again. It says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. An interesting connection between working together for the truth and hospitality. Something that is made explicit here that was more implicit in the culture, culturally speaking, the connection between hospitality uh, relationships, but he's connecting it to the importance of working together for the sake of the gospel. The remainder of the letter, by the way, if you want to read it, it like I said, it'll only take two minutes. He talks about uh, another guy. Uh, they, he's, his name is Diotrephes, if I pronounce it correctly, but he refused basically to show hospitality. And so he's comparing and contrasting Gaius and the faithful believers with the unfaithful, unhospitable version uh, seen by this guy, Diotrephes, and his basically self-centered life. And John connects his rejection of these traveling missionaries as rejection of his own authority as an elder and ultimately of the gospel itself. And so um, it's, it's actually a very important thing to living the God-centered life, our understanding of hospitality and showing hospitality and love to other believers, whether we know them or not. Um, you know, I want to sh show you a, a little picture here from my own journey. So this uh, is a picture with uh, the Maskell family who we stayed with when, well, actually, we didn't stay with them. We, they hosted us for breakfast when we were in Denver uh, on one of our trips. So we were hosted by five families along our way. Five families were part of the vineyard movement. So we stopped in Columbus, Des Moines, Iowa, uh, Denver, Colorado, Salt Lake City, uh, nobody hosted us in Reno. We stayed by a hotel with lots of trash. And then we went to Reading, uh, where we finally made our destination. But all along the way, we had families, vineyard families, who gladly hosted our family. And in part of the people will ask me, are you going to go see the, the country? 
And I said yes, but not in a way that most people might think. We're seeing it through the eyes and through the relationships that we had along the way. And the incredible generous hospitality that families, like the Maskell family showed us, was part of the joy of, of the journey. And it's a great illustration for the kind of life I believe God wants all of us to live, is to live the hospitable life. Because what hospitality does is creates a context for the gospel to grow. It creates a context for relationships to happen. Hospitality creates an environment where love can flourish and the generosity of God's kingdom can be expressed. In fact, hospitality has been one of the core values of our church since the very beginning. And it's why, if you noticed in in our announcements, all the announcements that we had, all the announcements we have, whether it's going to the beach together, whether it's um, you know hosting an event for our anniversary, uh, whether it's having a worship and prayer night together in someone's home, or ultimately the out Al- like I said the Alpha group, Alpha is built on hospitality. You have a meal, and you discuss things that are important that matter in life. But everything that we do, I've noticed that God has made us and called us to be a hospitable community to show hospitality. It's why we have um, folks like, uh, faithful servants like Aaron Denton sets up the carrots and, and those little uh, blueberries or whatever else you're going to eat out there. It's hospitality because what it does is it creates a context where people can connect, where God can do work in the relationships with one another. And so I would encourage you to consider how is God calling you to show hospitality for the sake of of the truth, so that the work of the gospel may go, go forward. And I want to do, I just want to take a moment to commend all of you um, over the course of time, whether you hosted someone at your own home or you've been part of the team to host and make a, a place and a space where people can come and experience God, I want to commend you and thank you and just say how much joy it has brought me over the course of these last eight years to, to be a recipient of that generosity and of that hospitality that you've shown. It gives me great joy to reflect how many folks over the course of time have hosted small groups and dinner parties, have hosted prayer groups and worship nights. It brings me great joy how people have hosted someone who has been hurting and in and, and pain and in tears and have just prayed for them. It brings me great joy, as it did the Apostle John, when, when we gather together just because. Maybe it's going uh, to pray for someone who's, who's been through a difficult time like we had and which some of you have done and have done for us, and we've been the recipient of that. It brings me great joy when people just spend time hanging out just because, because you know what love does? Love loves relationship. And so relationships, being together, is the nature of what love is all about. It says, I want to be with you. That meal, that communion meal I had mentioned is an expression of God's desire, just when we have food together, to be with someone else. That's what love, that's, that's hospi- the hospitality of God's kingdom. And if, if you want to know what God's kingdom is like, if you could think of the most generous host or hostess who has shown you and expressed that love and has done it not just in a way that's like, here, I want to give you the food. It's no, I want to do this because I want to be with you. That is the hospitality of God's kingdom. You know, it brings me great joy when I see so many faithful volunteers serving so regularly and consistently on Sundays to create that space where people can experience God. It brings me great joy to see how people have been seeking God faithfully 
one-on-one uh, -on -one and two-on-two -on -two praying together and praying for the church, praying for you. I, I, I am just full of joy at the spiritual work and sacrifice that has gone in to making Concha and Vineyard Church happen. It's been, been such, such an, uh, a joy of my life. And, you know, one of the things that, um, that really helped me grow in my faith when I was a young believer uh, particularly when I made that transition from, from out of high school into college. I didn't know anyone. I moved all the way to the city of Philadelphia, far away from home. And there were people there. I, I, I actually, um, it was a little bit more dramatic for me because uh, I moved into this, this wing of a dormitory called STWING. Now, STWING stands for the Science and Technology Wing. And so the, the science and technology guys weren't the most hospitable people kind of people. Like one guy was yelling at me because I didn't know what FTP was, and that hurt my feelings. But there was a community on campus there, a community of believers through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship that, that, that welcomed me, showed me hospitality and kindness, that ate meals with me, and it really made me... Uh, my experience, it transformed my experience, my whole college experience, and I grew in my relationship with God uh, more than I ever had. And we have an opportunity, my friends and family here uh, at Conchock and Vineyard, during this fall, this transition period, to show hospitality, hospitality as people are coming back, as people are in transition. Transitions are times when people are open and looking and seeking to find a place where they can settle, a place they can find a home. And that's why we host uh, anniversary service, not only to celebrate what God has done in our life, but also to welcome others into that kingdom life that he has. That's why we offer Alpha, not only to help those who are in ch church new to their faith grow in their faith with God, but those who don't know God to come and discover what he is really like. And it's why we have a, a worship and prayer night, why we gather together and, and gather in homes together, because it is the nature of God's kingdom to be hospitable, to be walking in the truth. And so perhaps you might not think, well, I, can, I can't exegete this passage or I can't give an apologetics, I can't teach an apologetics course to explain the intricacies of scripture and how it uh, you know, relates culturally or whatever it might connect to whatever your friends are doing. But one thing you can do is you can... You can show hospitality. You can invite a friend to coffee. You can invite a friend to church or to Alpha. You can make the effort to someone. So I encourage you, start with someone, a friend or a family member, but ask God, how can I show loving, generous hospitality to someone for the sake of the gospel? Maybe just start there. Maybe for you, it's reverse hospitality that Jesus talked about. He said, go, when he sent his disciples out, he said, go, don't take anything and receive their hospitality. And in fact, sometimes being the recipient of someone else's generosity also creates such a beautiful context where you can communicate the love and the truth of God. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a moment. I'd like you to take just a little bit of time now to consider how the Holy Spirit might be inviting you into this great work of helping people walk in the truth, particularly in the area of hospitality. What is one gift that you have? Maybe it's your car, or it's a home. It's a great home for hosting, which some of you have some great homes and have been a tremendous blessing to our church. Or maybe you just know where a coffee shop is, but you know of an opportunity for someone who's lonely to be invited into a conversation about who God is. So I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with that with you now, but let's take some time, let's pray, then we'll continue worshiping together.
So Lord, um, we come to you with gratitude in our hearts uh, for, for the way that you've worked in our church and in our lives and in our families in so many different ways, even when it's been hard to see. I want to thank you even in advance, even though we're not celebrating our anniversary this week. God, Lord, your faithfulness to us these last eight years, through the pandemic, through pain and difficulty, just too many to mention, through death, through loss of relationship, through all the suffering that happens and the love as a result of love, God. But we know that your heart is for us and your heart is inclined towards those who are not walking in the truth and that your heart breaks for them. And God, I, I pray first and foremost that you would break our hearts for the things that make your heart break, for the people who are separate from you, from the people who are hurting, the lost spiritual children, while they might not be our children, we know that they're children of someone. They're ultimately yours. So God, give us your heart first and foremost. And secondly, I pray that during this, this time of silence, you would spark creativity and wisdom in a way that we can use hospitality and what you've given to us so that we can partner with you in the advancement of the gospel of your son, Jesus. Let's take a moment and let the Holy Spirit uh, lead this time. So Lord, I pray that you would um, continue to speak to us and give us your grace and truth and and courage and attentiveness uh, to be responsive to how you're, you're calling us to respond to your word today, this week. Amen.